don't want to rush the message, but I do want to get you guys out as soon as possible. I don't mean that in the wrong way, but I want you to have time to go get a bite to eat or whatever before you um, go to the funeral home. It's going to be a long afternoon, so, uh, and we have communion this morning, but I wanted to share with you some thoughts on the Last Supper, the Last Supper. And um, if I know we're in Mark, we're still in Mark, but we're going to fast forward for this morning to Mark 14. How's that? We go from Mark 4 to Mark 14. But go to Mark 14 with me, if you would. The um, 14th chapter of Mark and the 12th verse is where I'm going to begin to read from today. Mark chapter 14. And verse 12, could I have a little more monitor up here, Brother Terry? Can you give me a little more monitor, please? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 14, verse number 12, speaking today about on that thought of the subject of the Last Supper. Verse number 12, are you there? All right. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said to him, to Jesus, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith to them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, Say ye to the good men of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared, and there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found, as he had said to them, and they made ready the Passover. If you'll drop down to verse 22. As, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Father, add your blessing to your word to this communion service this morning. I think it's customary in our prison systems that any condemned prisoner is usually allowed to choose what they will have for their last meal. And in this passage that we've read to you today in this 14th chapter of Mark, the Lord Jesus Christ has gathered together here with His disciples in this upper room to partake of what will be His last meal. But Jesus doesn't have the privilege of requesting what He will eat for His last supper. The menu has already been planned, and this will be the most important meal that is ever eaten because the meal that Jesus eats here on the eve of his death is a meal designed by God the Father to exalt his son. 
This meal that Jesus is about to partake of with his disciples is a meal that preaches the gospel. It's a meal that displays the grace of God. It's a meal that declares the new creation of a new covenant between God and the repentant sinner. This last supper that Jesus and his disciples partook of, which was the last Passover and the first communion service that he and his disciples partook of, have such a rich, rich meaning and significance to you and I here in this service today. The Passover, as we most of us know, was the main feast of the Jewish religious year. Now, there are some churches and some in the Christian community that still celebrate Passover and do the Seder meal and all that type of thing, but I don't believe that's something that we should really be involved in because Jesus changed the Passover, the old Jewish Passover, into when we came into this new covenant, into what we're doing here this morning, and that is receiving the Lord's Supper or communion. But the Passover was the main feast of that religious year among the Jews, and it commemorated. Everybody know what the Passover was all about? The Passover celebration commemorated the night that God passed over Israel when the death angel came and killed all of the firstborn in Egypt. It was the, it was the night that the Lord liberated and delivered His people from uh, hundreds of years of slavery and bondage to the Egyptian people. And it typifies our redemption and our salvation and our deliverance and freedom from the hand of the enemy. But the regulations for the Passover were given in Exodus chapter 12. We won't take time to go there and read all of that. But I want to point some things out. You can study that when you get home. That will be a good homework assignment for you this week to read and study about the Passover and how how Jesus fulfilled it in the cross and how how it relates to you and I today. And that's what these emblems of communion represent is what I'm getting ready to talk about. But in the regulations for the Passover there in Exodus chapter 12, they chose a lamb and they took the lamb and they killed it in the evening. And then they were to take the blood of that lamb and drained it into a basin. And they were to put the blood, some of that blood, on the doorposts and across the top of the door of their homes. They then were to take that lamb and they were to roast it with fire. And they were to gather together, excuse me, by families in those homes that was protected and covered by the blood. They were to go in there, roast that lamb with fire, and then they were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. This was the Passover meal that they were to partake of. They were to eat the meal dressed with their shoes on. They weren't to eat it in their their pajamas. They were supposed to be dressed up and ready to move because God was saying that this is going to be the meal that's going to set you free and get you out of the bondage. You need to be getting ready to move on. So the Passover meal as we know it and we see it there in uh, the book of, of Exodus is a picture and a, it's a, a, a unique picture of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, His redemptive work on the cross. 
And that's what it was, it was meant to do was to foreshadow what Jesus was going to do when he came. The feast of Passover that God instituted there in Exodus on that night of Passover was a feast that involved, first of all, it involved a lamb. It involved a lamb. The Bible said in the third verse of Exodus 12 that they were to choose a lamb. Well, just any lamb. They were to just to choose a lamb. But then in verse number 4 of that 12th chapter, the, the, it gets a little more specific. And the, the Lord refers to it as the lamb. In other words, it wasn't just any lamb, but it was to be a particular lamb, a special lamb, a certain lamb. And then in the fifth verse, God makes it a little more personal to them and it goes from being a lamb and being the lamb to being called your lamb. So now he makes the, the now he's beginning to make it personal. Amen. And you know what that says to us today? It says to us that Jesus is not just a savior. He's not just a savior which is one savior among many, but Jesus is the savior. Amen. He's the only savior. He's the only savior. There's not more than one. There's not several, but Jesus is the only one. And it only it not only says that Jesus is the savior, but it also tells us that Jesus must become your savior. It has to be something that is personal in your life. He's not just the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, but thank God he is my lamb today. I've received him as my own personal Lord and personal Savior. They were to take the lamb and they were to, to put it up for several days, four days I believe, and the lamb was to be very closely examined. The lamb was to be without blemish. And of course this is a picture of perfection, a picture of purity. And this lamb, this perfect lamb, this lamb without blemish, without spot, of course, we know speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know that he was the perfect lamb. He was the spotless lamb. He was the pure lamb. He was, was and is the sinless Savior. Amen? The Bible tells us that there was no sin found in him, neither was there any guile or any deceit found in his mouth. The Bible tells us that that. He, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he who knew no sin became a sin offering for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. He was the spotless lamb. He was the sinless lamb. That's why that the blood that was shed there on that cross was such special blood. That's why we do not believe here and we do not teach here that Jesus died spiritually or that he became a sinner on the cross because he did not. He was sinless. He was holy. He was the only pure Lamb of God. Amen? He was the supreme sacrifice for our sin. And the reason he could die and his blood would, would wash away our sin is because the blood of Jesus is pure blood and spotless blood and holy blood that was never ever tainted with sin in any way. Amen? But that lamb not only was without blemish and pure, but the lamb was to be slain. It had to be slain. The lamb was slain and the blood was then taken 
and was applied to the doorposts of the house. In verses 22 and 23 of Exodus 12, God told them to drain the blood of that lamb into a basin. And they were to take a bunch of hyssop, and that was a little bush, and they were to dip that, that hyssop into the blood of that slain lamb. Then they were to go outside and they were to sprinkle the blood on the side posts and across the top of the door of their home. And of course, when you look at that, it does make a cross. Can I get an amen or a witness or something from somebody today? Amen? Hallelujah! But it was to, the blood was to be applied to that house. And the family then was to go inside that house and they were together inside the home where the blood had been applied and they were to stay in the house. They were not to go outside the house. If there's any, if there's any passage of Scripture, I mean if even at the beginning of the Bible that debunks the unscriptural doctrine of unconditional eternal security, that would right there because they were only going to be protected as long as they stayed inside the house and stayed under the blood. He said, don't nobody go outside till the morning. You better stay in the house. Can I just tell you something today? You got to stay under the blood. You got to stay in Christ. You got to keep your faith anchored in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The only shelter, the only shelter, the only salvation, the only way and the only means of salvation from the wrath of God today is the same that it's always been been and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to escape hell. There is no other way to escape the wrath of God other than to come by the way of the cross and what Jesus has done there. That's the only way. But the lamb also, they, the lamb was slain, the blood was applied to the door, but then they were to go inside and they were to roast the lamb with fire. The lamb had to be eaten, the Bible said. The body of the lamb was roasted with fire and they were to eat it with bitter herbs. It wasn't enough simply to select a lamb. It wasn't enough just to kill the lamb, but they also, the lamb had to be appropriated in the individual life. Amen. And this is very important because there are a lot of people today, if you would ask them and say, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago? And they would say, yes, I believe that that happened, but they have not yet appropriated the sacrifice and made it personal in their own lives. There are scores of people in churches across this nation today that, uh, that, that have have a cross maybe in their church or a, a Christ hanging on a cross in their church, but uh, they have never appropriated what Jesus has done for them at the cross. So the lamb had to be, had to be eaten. The death of Jesus, listen to me, saints, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is meaningless. It means absolutely nothing for you until you receive Him by faith. Until you place your faith in what He did there. Until you believe that what He did on the cross when He died was for you so that you could be saved, so that you could be born again. And you 
accept Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. The death of Jesus will do you no good. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. There's that trash going around today, you know, that says that the universalism doctrine that says that everybody's going to be saved in the end. Rob Bell wrote a book, said love wins, that everybody's going to be saved in the end, even the devil. God's going to have a change of mind and just say everybody can come into heaven. Well, that's not the case. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's not the case. Only those who have put their faith and placed their faith in the shed blood of Jesus, only those who by faith have received of the Lamb and eaten the Lamb and partaken of the Lamb, those are the ones that's going to make heaven their eternal home. Come on, amen? Hallelujah, hallelujah. The death of Christ must be made personal. And you must have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to partake of the Lamb. You've got to make Him a part of your life every single day of your life. You've got to apply the blood by faith to be saved. And I'm going to go a step farther and say this, that you by faith need to apply the blood and and exercise your faith in the finished work of Christ every single day of your life. Amen. The same thing that got you born again, the same thing that brought you into the kingdom of God is going to be the same faith and the same object that will give you victory every day, that will keep you saved, that will give you power to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's got to be partaken of. And I don't think we can stress it too much that there is no salvation apart from and separate from the blood of Jesus. I know, you know, people say, well, it's, you know, you preach that old cross stuff and people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about the blood. They don't want to hear about that. It's been, it's been tagged as a, quote, slaughterhouse religion. From some years back, they, the liberals began to call us who preached on the cross and the death of Christ and the sacrifice. It was a slaughterhouse religion. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's an offense to the cross. There was, there was, there, it was a terrible thing that happened at the cross. It was, it was a bloody thing. It was a gory thing. It was a, a horrible scene to view. But can I tell you something? It's the cross. Yes, there's an offense there, but it's the cross. It's the shedding of the blood. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So there's only one way. There's only one way. I know, I know, I know I'm a little fanatic about that, but there's only one way. Well, Brother Rick, is that belonging to your church or your denomination? No, it's not in a denomination. It's not in a certain church, but the only way, the one way is coming by way of the cross of Jesus and placing your faith in Him and His blood and what He did at Calvary. I think I'll just remain a dinosaur. I think I'll just stay old-fashioned. Amen. I think, you know, everybody else may go different ways, but I think, Brother Mark, I think I'll just stay with the cross. I think I'll just stick with the blood. I think I'll just stay with the Bible. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 
The old song says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. There's, it's nothing, it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus used the occasion here of this Last Supper. It was, he paints a picture and he uses this Passover meal, the occasion of this Passover, to institute a new covenant, the new covenant that we live in now. The old, oh, I'm about to have a spell. The old was passing away and he was bringing in a new covenant a better covenant established on better promises that would be ratified and sealed by His own blood, not by the blood of a bull or a blood of a goat or a blood of a heifer or an, a, or an animal of some kind, but it's going to be ratified by the pure, spotless, holy, righteous, hallelujah, blood of the Son of Almighty God. And so He uses this to bring in this new covenant to introduce it and to teach us what the new covenant is all about. And Jesus uses these symbols here to paint a picture of what He would do for us at the cross of Calvary. And so the first thing that He does, the Bible says that He broke the bread. He took the bread that was there which was unleavened bread, had no, no yeast in it. It was unleavened bread because leaven was a type of sin. And this bread was to represent the body of Christ who was sinless, as we've said. But he would break the bread, Jesus would, and then he would pass it around to the men at the table. And what was customary in the Jewish tradition was that when they broke the bread and they would pass it around, then he would say, Jesus would say, Praised be thou, o Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. But then Jesus added a new meaning to the bread. Oh, hallelujah. He added a brand new meaning to the bread because this was altogether different. He's bringing in the new and doing away with the old. And when he passed the bread to his disciples, he said, Take and eat. This is my body. This is my body. Not literally that that bread was his body. Not literally does this wafer turn into flesh, into the body of Jesus. There is no transubstantiation involved, but it is an emblem and a symbol of his body. See, 33 and a half years earlier in the little town of Bethlehem, which Bethlehem means the house of bread, it, it, the bread of life, the bread of life took on a human body there in that little town. The bread of life, Jesus lived in that body for 33 and a half years. He preached in that body. He worked miracles in that body. He healed the sick in that body. And he was getting ready to go to the cross and he was getting ready to die in that body, to be buried in that body and to rise again the third 
day in that body. He was going to ascend to heaven in that body. And when we see him, he's going to be in that body. Come on. He's coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's coming back in that same body. Hallelujah. Only now it's been glorified. It's not a body of flesh and blood, but it's a body of flesh and bone glorified just like the body that he's going to give to each and every one of us at the resurrection. Come on, somebody. He will be in that body. Oh, I'm going to see him in that body. I've thought all week long. I can't get Brother Howard off of my mind and off of my heart. But his faith has become sight and he's solved the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a man in heaven sitting on the right hand of God. The God man. The man Christ Jesus. The only mediator between God and man. And he's there in that body, that glorified body. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Luke's gospel says this. In Luke 22, 19, Jesus said, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. He said, This is my body that is given for you. Listen, nobody took Jesus' life. Nobody, nobody, nobody took his life. Or it wasn't an execution. Somebody said, well, Jesus was executed on the cross. It was not an execution at Calvary. It was a sacrifice at Calvary. Jesus even told them one time, he said, I'm going to lay down my life. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to pick it back up again. I've received this from my Father. He said, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Paul said basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the scriptures that we always read when we take communion. Paul said it this way, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus here was on his way to the cross where his body was about to be broken. Not a bone was broken, but when we talk about the broken body, of Jesus we're talking about the beating and the suffering that he experienced and went through and Jesus gave them that bread and told them this is my body that's given for you and he said take and eat and again he's giving he's telling them that they must receive and that we must receive what he did for us on the cross we must personally receive it we must internalize his finished work at Calvary we must exercise faith and believe in his death and his burial and his resurrection and that what he did there he did for me if I would have been the only one if I'd have been the only one Jesus would have still went to that cross and he would have still shed his blood and he would have still gave his life for that sacrifice was for me hallelujah amen hallelujah he equated this bread with his body receive it you've got to internalize it 
That was the thing that, that the Jews had a problem with. When That was the message that caused most of his disciples, those followers of his, to walk away was when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they couldn't understand that, you know. They, they should have known. I, I say they couldn't. They could have. They should have because what he was telling them was, I'm going to be the Passover just as you ate and drank uh, the, the juice and the wine and, and ate the lamb, so you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't talking about literally, but he was talking about you've got to receive what I'm getting ready to do, what I've come to do at the cross. You've got to believe that and you've got to receive that. So the element of the bread represented his body. But then there was the cup. There was the cup that contained, what did it contain? We use the term wine. We say that it contained wine. Nowhere in any of the synoptic gospels does it ever refer to this cup as wine. Search it out, read it. It's always referred to as the cup, and, when it, and Jesus referred to it as the fruit of the vine. Now, I, I, I say this, you know, I don't think I need to say it here, but maybe I do because there's a lot of stuff going on today. But what we use in our communion here at Abundant Life was the same thing that Jesus and his disciples drank at that last supper. It was the pure fruit of the vine. It was pure grape juice. It's non-alcoholic. It ain't going to make you drunk. It has not been fermented. Fermentation would bring spoilage and rot to that grape juice. Fermentation would say to me that the blood was tainted, but thank God it's the pure fruit of the vine and juice from the vine. Can I get an amen here today? No, we do not use alcoholic wine in our communion service because they didn't use it there at that last supper. But Jesus said that the cup, the fruit of the vine, and we'll refer to it as wine if you want to, even though it's non-alcoholic, but it represents the blood. And he, had, he added a new meaning to the cup and to the juice, to the wine. He said, this is my blood. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you. He equated the juice in that cup to being his own blood that he would shed on the cross. And there's something about this grape juice. There's something about this fruit of the vine. Because this fruit of the vine was produced. Y'all know how they got grape juice. How they got that fruit of the vine. How they got it to where they could drink it. It was produced through violence. The grapes were taken, the clusters of grapes were put in a wine vat and it was, it was produced by those grapes being, being violently stomped, by those grapes being violently crushed beneath the feet of those people underfoot. They had to extract the juice from the grapes so it was a violent thing that took place. And what Jesus was saying with that fruit of the vine being a symbol of His blood, He was about Jesus Christ was saying to them I'm about to be poured out I'm about to be crushed I'm about to be to suffer and to be bruised see the religious people of Israel the religious hierarchy of Israel and the mightiness the mightiness of Rome was going to combine forces to put Jesus Christ to death they were going to crush him they were going to bruise him they were going to blindfold him and smack him in the face 
face and pull his beard out and beat him over the head with a rod and mock him and make fun of him and say, come on, you're a prophet. Prophesy to us and tell us who it is that's beating you. They were going to tie him to a whipping post and take a cat of nine tails and lash him just within a within an inch of his life until his back, side, was and front was nothing more than ribbons of flesh hanging from him. He was getting ready to be crushed. He was getting ready to be bruised. A crown of thorns would be placed upon his head and he would be crushed by those ungodly demonized soldiers of the Roman army. But Jesus would also be crushed by his own father for the full course, the full force of the wrath of God on sin. Listen to what I'm saying to you today. The full force of God's wrath on sin would be poured out on Jesus on that cross. The Bible says in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied it and said that it pleased the Lord to to bruise him. God the Father himself would turn his back on his son. All of the wrath that was due to you, all of the wrath of God and the judgment judgment of God and the punishment of God that was to come to me and to come to you was poured out the wrath of God for all sin was poured out upon Jesus upon that cross that's what the bitter herb stood for that's what eating that meal with bitter herbs that's why it was roasted with fire it represented the judgment of God upon that lamb upon that sacrifice and when the Lord Jesus Christ was crushed there on that cross his precious blood was shed when the blood was shed Jesus died some say he died from a broken heart the sack that holds the heart was ruptured. The Roman soldier pierced him through with a spear and blood and water flowed forth and flowed down his body there at Calvary. And when he shed that blood, he died there at Calvary. The sin debt, when Je- listen, when Jesus died, When Jesus bowed his head, when Jesus uttered those three words and said, It is finished. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and bowed his head, gave up the ghost. I'm telling you, it was finished there at the cross. Hallelujah to the Lamb. When he died, when he shed his blood, And he died there at Calvary. The the debt that you owed for sin was paid in full. Hallelujah. That's what that, that Greek word means that refers, that Greek word used for it is finished. It means it is accomplished. It is done. It is paid in full. Amen. It was done right there. Right there at the cross, your sin debt was paid by the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. It was, listen, the debt for sin was not paid when he went to the lower parts of the earth. His, the debt for your sin was not paid in the resurrection. He 
rose from the dead because your sin debt was paid at Calvary. Are you listening to me? The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the proof and the guarantee. It was God putting his seal of approval upon the cross. It was God. If there would have been one sin, just one sin that would have been left unatoned for. If there would have been one sin that, that the blood of Jesus had not covered at the cross, he would not have, have arisen from the dead. And we would still be in our sins. But can I tell you something this morning? Jesus Christ didn't stay in the grave. Jesus Christ came out. He's alive today. He's alive forevermore. Hallelujah. And your sin debt and my sin debt was paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. He did not go into the depths of hell, into the fires and the flames of hell as some teach. No, we, listen, your redemption was not purchased in the flames of hell. Your redemption was purchased on the cross of Calvary by the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made there. Amen? And now everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can have all of their sins and does have all of their sins washed away. We're instantly, the moment we accept Christ, we are instantly brought into relationship with Almighty God. We are instantly made a new creature in Christ. We're clothed with the very spotless righteousness of Jesus. It was on the cross Jesus took your sin and mine and paid that sin debt so that when we accept what he did there now we can be a participant of his spotless righteousness and his holiness listen to me I can't work for my for my righteousness there's no good works that I can do to make myself righteous neither can you but you've been made righteous today simply by placing your faith in what Jesus did at the cross in his shed blood in his in his uh, death and his his resurrection, he has made you a child of God. There's where his righteousness. There's where his righteousness comes. And that's what we commemorate every time we take the cup of communion. We remember that Jesus took my place on the cross. Ushers, would you make your way to the front, please? We're going to prepare to. Whew, glory to God. It's a time of remembrance. We're commemorating something. We don't observe the old Jewish Passover anymore because Jesus changed it into this Lord's Supper. He died for me. He took my place at the cross. That's what we remember here today. He gave His life for me. And Paul called it in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul called it a cup of blessing. He said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup, when we remember what he did, it's a cup of blessing. Why is that, Pastor? Because every blessing and benefit that you will ever receive from God will come to you in one way and one way only. And it's through and by what you're remembering today. 
that's why it's a cup of blessing. Because it's through this shed blood and broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive our forgiveness. That's a blessing. That we receive cleansing. That's a blessing. That we receive Christ's righteousness. That's a blessing. But you know what? We also receive our healing because it's by His stripes we were healed. That's a blessing. We can also receive our provision and all of our needs met. It's all in the cross. It all comes the same way. That's a blessing. It's a cup of blessing because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Comes down from above from the Father of lights. Amen. And you know where how it comes? It comes by means of the cross and only by means of the cross. Hallelujah. Let me close with this. Jesus said to them, he passed the bread, he passed the juice. He explained to them what the emblems meant as they ate the bread, the body, as they drank the cup, the blood. Then Jesus said to them, Verily I say to you, I will drink no more of this fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You know what he was meaning there, what he was saying? Jesus was already looking ahead. See, there was no, there was no doubt that there was going to be a resurrection. He's coming out of that grave. Nothing going to keep him in that grave. Jesus was looking ahead to the day that he returns to put down all of his enemies and to rule and reign in this earth in righteousness. See, Jesus was going to that cross, but Jesus, you know, the Bible talks about him going, having the the joy that was before him. Because of the joy that was before him, he endured the cross and despised the, the shame. He went to the cross with an expectation, with the expectation that he would rise again on the third day with the expectation knowing that he would ascend back to the right hand of the Father and that he would again one day return to earth in glory and power to rule and reign. And that's what he was saying to them. I will drink this cup with you, this fruit of the vine with you again, till we drink it new in my Father's kingdom. In other words, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'm coming, I'm coming out of that grave, and I'm not only coming out of that grave, but I'm going back to heaven, ascending back to the Father. And I can tell you if I make it back to heaven, one day I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. Paul himself said that that's one of the things that we do when we partake of communion. We do show the Lord's death until He come. Can I tell you when we take this this cup and this bread, this body and this blood, remember one thing. Soon and very soon, soon and very soon, soon and very soon, we are going to see our King. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And we will see Him. Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. And there to sing forever of His saving grace. On those streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all pass. I'm home at last. Ever to rejoice. Let's give the Lord a good praise.